Welcome to the Western Bell podcast series with talks on traditional spiritual teaching and its application in the world today. The intention of the series is to offer something useful for those who are drawn to study themselves and engage practice on the spiritual path. New talks are posted twice each month. The content of the talks is for informational purposes only and not to provide any kind of counseling, medical, or professional advice. This podcast is titled, Everything is Food, A Gourmet's Guide to the Spiritual Path. The talk was given by Regina Sarah Ryan on March 6, 2021, via Zoom. Regina is the editor of Home Press, a workshop leader, retreat guide, former Catholic nun, and author of The Woman Awake, Igniting the Inner Life, Praying Dangerously, Only God, and other books. If there is benefit in this talk for you, please consider sharing the link to it or writing a review on social media or on one of the podcast platforms. Regina Sarah Ryan. Thanks for all who are here. Let's begin the way I like to begin, which is by becoming present to ourselves where we are in this moment. Otherwise, there's a lot less chance that we can eat the food that might be available tonight. So let's relax before this meal so that we can consume in a way that is most beneficial to our bodies because we are gourmets and we would like to get the finest food possible. So as you're sitting, you might just become aware of the weight and density of your body as it is right now, like how you're sitting. And you might just relax into that or surrender the weight of your body. Let gravity pull you down. Let your spine hold you up in a posture of dignity and nobility. And bring your attention into your body at the solar plexus, at the heart, at the hara, the belly. And sense your breath. And sense the whole body. And relax the body. Conscious placement of attention at the solar plexus or the heart or the hara. Sense the breath. Sense the whole body. Relax the body. Wonderful we have this focused inner attention and focused sensation and sensing of relaxation. So we're going to hold that or just let that be as we also open our eyes and take in the environment around us because there's sensations, there's food of all kinds around you right now. Light, color, form, other people. Could you take yourself in with the eyes of the heart while maintaining an inner sense of breath, posture, 
sensation. And finally, we'll invoke help from a larger field that we are not alone here, that there is a huge matrix of energy, what we call the cosmos, the universe, God, love force. And we are not separate from that. It's present and accessible if we merely open to it and welcome it. So I'm going to ring a little bell, at which time we'll come back together with another sense of attention of being together. Okay, now it's time to eat. This is a really big topic. Rather than everything is food, you could say, Energy is all there is, or you could say there's only God, or you could say life is feeding you all the time. How are you responding to it? So I took this topic because one of the spiritual teachers who I study is Arnaud Desjardins, and in his wonderful book called The Jump Into Life, Moving Beyond Fear, he talks about this concept from the Hindu term sarvam anam, and it translates into everything is food. So when I give a talk like this, it's an opportunity for me to go deeper, not because I'm an expert. That's not why I give the talk. I give the talk because from the time I decide what the topic's going to be, I have to practice a lot because otherwise I kind of sit here and go, Here's the theory, but I'm not doing it. So it's been very present for me for a while, especially like a half an hour ago when I met a friend who started talking about something that really agitated me. <laughs> and I'm standing there receiving this person's communication and my stomach is getting into a real knot. And then I remembered that I was on my way to give a talk called Everything is Food. And I said, oh, okay. Let's just be with this food and see how it feels and if it's going to digest. And instead of just trying to defend myself or talk to him about it or convince him otherwise or whatever, if I say that this topic is about everything, it's a gourmet's guide because we are people who have elected to follow some type of a path of self-growth, transformation, spirituality. So you're the gourmets. And so you're looking at your life, at all of life, and you're saying everything is potentially food. Everything. So the place I want to start, I have a couple of big areas to consider with you. The first place I'm going to start is with this beautiful Tibetan man whose name is Dilgo Kense Rinpoche. And his book is called Enlightened Courage. And what his book is about is his commentaries on a more ancient Tibetan text. And the text is called The Seven-Point Mind Training. So some of you have probably studied this. It's very classic. Many great masters have given commentaries on it, including Chogyam Trungpa, 
who's got commentaries on it in his book called Training the Mind and Cultivating Loving Kindness. So they all really like this. So I'm going to share with you what he has to say about this. So here's what Dilgo Kensei Rinpoche has to say. This is the text from the Tibetan text. This is one line of the seven-point mind training. When all the world is filled with evils, place all setbacks on the path of liberation. So what is he saying? He's saying everything, every setback, even in the midst of the most evil world, can be brought to the path and can be used for purposes of your liberation. Everything is food. And here's how he makes his commentary. If we have instruction on how to carry obstacles onto the path, then no matter how many difficulties and conflicting situations come upon us, they will simply clarify our practice and have no power to hinder us on the path. If, however, we do not have instructions, then difficulties will be experienced as hindrances. So do you have instructions? The answer is yes, you do. Almost every talk on these programs is all about how to have the instruction to take difficulties and to transform them into food for the path. So Kensei goes on to say, in these degenerate times, as far as the outer universe is concerned, the rains and snows do not come when they should. Harvests are poor, the cattle are unhealthy, and people and animals are riddled with disease. Because people spend their time in evil activities, because they are jealous and constantly wish misfortune on one another, many countries are at variance and in desperate circumstances. So he was probably writing this in the 1950s. Sounds a little familiar. We are in an area when even the teachings of religion are perverted, so that famine, disease, and war are rife. But when a forest is on fire, a gale will only make it bigger. It certainly will not blow it out. Likewise, for a bodhisattva, that's you and I, baby bodhisattvas, bodhisattvas in training, those who are willing to work on behalf of others, to bring the teaching, to bring kindness, generosity, and compassion to others. All such catastrophic situations may be profitably taken onto the path. Makes it really, really simple, doesn't it? So let me hear from a few of you just to call out what are the setbacks that are in your life right now? What are the obstacles that are in your life? What are the challenges that are in your life? What do you mostly complain about in your life right now? Tell me what some of these obstacles are to your liberation. I was just going to say rage and judgment of other people is a real obstacle. These times, cultivating mindfulness around that and really wanting to see other people as pretty much the same as me, even if I don't think they are. I think we can all relate to that. If we don't call it rage, it's something else. It's jealousy, competitiveness. It's being victimized by other people. It's being hurt. It's being overlooked. What else? What's, what are some of the other obstacles? 
saying and acting unkindly without thinking. Hmm. Unconscious reactivity, unconscious responses. Not getting what I want. Thank you. Yeah, because we don't really want reality as it is, do we? We want it as we want it. We talk about a little bit of an impossible situation. Arguing with reality mm-hmm. is a really big thing. Although it is a food-rich environment, I find it also to be a bugaboo-rich environment. And uh, that's an obstacle to me. Yes. Well, the bugaboo is food. That's what Mm -hmm. we're talking about. That's the little shift that we want to get in our minds based on where I'm coming from, not that this is the truth. The bugaboos are my emotions. The bugaboos are my belief systems. The bugaboos are those terrible people. The bugaboos are my health and my husband's health and all of those things. And what Dilgo Kensei Rinpoche is saying to us is that one of the primary methodologies of mind training is to take all obstacles and bring them onto the path of liberation. So the question becomes then, how do we do that? So that's one of our big questions for tonight. But, you know, I think that even just knowing that, even just being able to say that, okay, I can get that prayer, meditation, and this kind of thing. These are all good for my path. But I don't know that we really get, or I don't get all the time, that the very things that are the obstacles can be brought onto the path as an incredible form food for liberation. And if we push them away, if we keep saying no to them, if we keep denying reality as it is, if we keep arguing with the reality of these bugaboos, we waste a huge amount of time and energy. Trungpa Rinpoche had to say that as you take on that everything can be food for your path, everything, all the setbacks, all these nasty people, all these situations, the weather, the political situation and everything, if you keep bringing them on to your path, you slowly develop a sense of compassion for others. In other words, as you see all the problems that are coming up and as you bring them on your path, you slowly begin to develop some type of a sense of generosity. You would like to welcome them. You would like to serve them. You would like to be of use to them in their lives as well. So he actually ties in this point of mind training with developing a sense of generosity and what he calls bodhicitta, which is the enlightened mind, and bringing that to these situations. Yeah, it's nice. My friend Lalita has a prayer that she uses as a mantra. I welcome that which you would have me serve. I welcome that which you would have serve me. And so as we're considering the subject of everything is food, from my perspective, everything is potentially prayer. So as I'm getting in the car tonight to come out, I look up at the sky and it's absolutely magnificent. And the sunset is just beginning and the color is absolutely beautiful. 
if I take that in with conscious attention, that's food on my path of liberation. It also opens the door for prayer because what arises out of that is a spontaneous prayer of gratitude. And the same thing actually happened to me with this interaction I had a half an hour before I came here. That because I didn't respond, but I felt the pain within myself of what that was engendering, that person's remarks, by the time I was just a few steps down the hallway, I recognized that that person in the way that person was speaking is coming from a place of pain as well. So that inspired food for compassion and also inspired food for prayer, that I could actually offer a prayer for that person. It doesn't completely make it nice and it doesn't happen quickly. Sometimes these transformations of food, like if you eat a steak, it takes a long time for the body to digest it. Some foods get digested very, very quickly. But some foods take a long time. They don't necessarily happen just like that. So my friend is a practicing Tibetan Buddhist, and I was on the phone with her yesterday, and I said to her, I'm going to give this talk on the seven-point mind training. And I said, what does that piece mean to you, that piece about bringing all obstacles onto the path? And she said, oh, that's totally simple. She said, the essence of that is you just say yes. Yes becomes your way of life. You even say yes when you feel like you're in resistance. You say yes to the very resistance that you're having. Wow. You're actually saying yes to your failures. You're saying yes to your sins. You're saying yes to your inability to make a breakthrough. You're saying yes to your nasty desire to just punch that guy in the nose. You're internally saying yes to life and to yourself and to all the situations that happen because that is what is, as it is, here and now reality. And if you argue with reality, you lose 100% of the time. (laughs) So the biggest work in the practice of saying yes to life is to stay practicing awareness of how often we are in no. How often we are in no. I mean, I don't know about you, but the day can start out that way. And it can kind of carry itself all the way through. Oh, it's 5.30 already. Oh, today's the day I have to do this. Oh, I got this crick in my neck. No. So no as the way of life is our default program. So what are we saying no to? Let's hear from some people. What do you say no to? I think sometimes they are so hidden my nose that I actually don't hear them because sometimes I cover them with, oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, but internally, as long as I'm working with self-observation, as more and more invisible they are hiding and before they were like no I don't want to do that and now they are really persistent I think it's it's more like about my nose to accept myself and accept my nose accept that I'm in the moment a no 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 you can't be a no you have to accept life as it is yeah Mm -hmm. 
I think a lot of us can relate to that. One more person, and then we'll move on here. One more no. I'm saying no to answering your question in any real way. Okay. Yeah. That's what we're doing all the time. We're constantly chatting about, I like this, I don't like this. Yes, no, yes, no, no, no. So this is one way of looking at everything as food and about bringing everything onto the path and using it for the possibility of transformation. So now I'd like to move into another way. And I want to begin by telling you, the very first book I wrote was called The Wellness Workbook. And I met my friend, Dr. John Travis, back in, oh, I guess in the mid-1970s. And we started working together to create a model for wellness. Wellness was the big thing in those days. And what we did was we created a 12-quadrant wellness model. In other words, what are the 12 different kinds of energies that human beings have and how do they work with them? Basically, what we saw was that the human being was just one giant energy transformational machine and that energy was coming in and going out and interacting at all of these different levels. And so we were breathing, we were sensing, we were eating, moving, feeling, thinking, playing, working, communicating, creating intimacy or sexuality, finding meaning in our lives, and ultimately transcending into self-responsibility and love. So these were all the ways that energy was moving, and we were taking them in. And the interesting thing about this is that what I'm talking about today and what I'm getting from these really profound teachings is in essence what we were doing decades ago, except for one thing. What we were doing decades ago was about creating a well body of this human body. And we were creating something that was going to have strength and agility and live on into your elder years and be vital and have all of this good nutrition and exercise and breathing for health and all of that. We only missed one tiny piece. And the tiny piece we missed is the essence of what these great teachings are really about. The essence of the teachings of Arnaud de Jardin, the essence of the teaching of George Gurdjieff, the essence of the teachings of uh, the Tibetans. And the one tiny piece was that we did not know that in the utilization of all of these life energies, it was possible to build an inner body of being, an inner spirit body, or a body of being, or an inner matrix. And that if you only used these energy forms to stabilize and strengthen and healthify and all of this, the physical form, you were doing something wonderful. But we missed the fact that some of that energy could be maintained and could crystallize into what is called an energy body or a body of being. Now, this is really cool for me because. I mean, I knew all this stuff, as you do too, 
And then as I'm going deeper into this work and reading the works of these other great masters and teachers, I'm able to see that in the traditions of the Hindus, in the tradition of Gurdjieff, in the tradition of Arnaud de Jardin, in the work that we're getting from Red Hawk and self-observation, all of those methodologies, all of those teachings are referring to the possibility of using this food in order to not only build the physical body, but more importantly, to maintain a bit of this energy for the work on self, for the inner body of being. So let me share a little bit of that with you. So this is Gurdjieff talking in Beelzebub's Tales. And what he says is, they're investigating planet Earth. So he's talking to his grandson. And he's saying, and so, like ourselves, the three-brained beings of the planet Earth are not only apparatuses for transforming cosmic substances required by God, but they also have the possibility, while absorbing these substances coming from three independent sources, of assimilating, in addition to the substances, indispensable for their own existence, certain substances destined for the coding and perfecting of their own higher being bodies. I know that's a lot of words, and if you're not familiar with Gurdjieff terminology, it can sound a little bit like gobbledygook. But he's basically saying that there are three sources of food, and that's what he goes on to say. The first source of food is common, ordinary eating food, the food that we consume. The second sourced substance is the air we breathe. And it is these substances in the air that serve for the coating and maintenance of the existence of their second being body. And then finally, third kind of being food, and that third kind of being food is known as impressions. So what we're saying here and what Gurdjieff has said to us is that there are three sources of primary food. Everything is food. And here's the way you divide them up. There's the food that we consume to feed the physical body. There is air, prana, life force. That's the second type of food. And the third type of food is impression food. We are always receiving impression food. You can live for a few minutes without air. You can live for many days without food, but you can't live without impressions. There's just nothing there. It's a void without impressions. So this is life. Food, we eat, air, we breathe, all the impressions and sensations that happen to us. And this means that everything is food. So here's what Red Hawk says about it. At the mechanical level, the intellectual emotional complex is constantly interfering with this process of transformation of energy into higher being food. But when the placement of attention is done consciously, not only does this energy transformation feed higher beings, but Gurdjieff informs us that it also serves to create certain substances designated for the coding and perfection of their own higher being bodies. 
what he's telling us again and again, if we bring conscious attention to the food we eat, to how we eat, to our breath, and to all the sensations and types of impressions that come to us, then we not only are feeding the higher beings or the divine, but we are creating certain substances that create an inner being body. When one works consciously in harmony with our creator and does not interfere with the descending energy, the energy that's always coming in from above, this conscious labor acts in the service of creating a being body. And he says, which may survive physical death. And Gurdjieff is telling us that the food for creating this body is air. Okay, let's get practical with this. Let's take an image of somebody in their pickup truck driving up to a fast food restaurant and getting a bag of food and putting it on the seat of their car and with one hand then driving on the highway and eating their french fries. You got the picture? You've never done that, but you you can imagine that other people may have done that. Okay. Let's take a different image, okay? Let's take a picture of somebody who goes to the table that has been prepared with a meal for them and who pauses for a moment and remembers all the beings who've worked to create this food being on the table. Not just the cook, but the farmers and the harvesters and the storekeepers and everything else. And then that individual might invoke just a tiny moment of prayer. And the body might be in a state of relaxation and sitting down and picking up what might be a French fry, you know, the same food. What is it that makes the huge contrast there? It's simply that degree of bringing consciousness, conscious attention to that particular meal. This might sound so simplistic, but let's really tell the truth about how we walk through our day and how we consume our food or how we drive our car. Asleep at the wheel. Amazing that we haven't had more accidents. I'm talking from my own experience. This is no indictment of you. I'm telling you this from, from myself. I once picked up a friend at the airport and she had flown into Arizona. She'd never been to Arizona before. And when she came out of the airport, her eyes were like so impacted with the amount of light. And she said to me, could we stop at a drugstore so I could pick up a pair of sunglasses? And I said, sure. Would you like me to come in with you? She said, sure, if you want, but I'm going to be quick. So she ran ahead of me. And by the time I got to the store, she had already picked out a pair of sunglasses off the rack and had gone to the counter and was already paying for them. Now, that made a very big impression on me. That person had an intention, high intention and a high need, and she was not distracted. Now, I hate to tell you, in contrast, what my buying of sunglasses looks like. 
And she wasn't doing it because she wanted to save time for me. Because we had time. We, we had an appointment to get to, but we had time. She did it because she had made of her life an act of conscious attention. And she was not about to fritter away her vital life force in doing things that were not going to serve her aim. I was able to hang out with this woman for two or three days. We actually were on a mission together. We were going to interview Elizabeth Kubler-Ross for a book I was writing. And, and this woman came in to be with me and we went to see Elizabeth together. And she demonstrated this to me several times without ever saying what she was doing. But when she came out of her room in the morning and I said, oh, you look very nice. I said, it's a beautiful necklace. She said, yes. She said, this is probably going to be the thing Elizabeth is going to look at. And I've picked it so that it will be something that will keep her attention on me. I thought, wow. Not only was her way of picking out her sunglasses, but the way we went to the shop and she bought some food for us for the weekend and the way she dressed herself was constantly a recognition that everything with this conscious attention applied to it was a source of not only food for the outer world, it was food for herself. She was conserving her energy and she was saving the energy that might have been lost and dissipated with distraction, she was building an inner body of being. She never said that to me, but believe me, because I had my eyes open, I got it. I got it what it looks like to live a conscious use of everything as food. So it's an example that I offer because this is the way in which our life is structured. We can either go through life and every once in a while, we can have a moment where we say, oh yeah, it's, it's Saturday night, let's go do that spiritual thing. You know, this is only like the huddle. This is where we huddle. But the work starts when we leave here. At least it does for me. The work starts when we leave here in the possibility that we might take some grain of nourishment from this. I'm speaking to myself. I'm like reminding myself again and again. Everything, all those things that I'm pushing away, that I'm saying no to, that is all, that is prime being food. That has a tremendous possibility for me. So saying yes, and then not wasting vital life force. This is how Uspensky says it. Uspensky wrote the book, the Search for the Miraculous, and he was a primary student of George Gurdjieff. And this is in a piece of his book. He says, energy is spent chiefly on unnecessary and unpleasant emotions. How many times in the course of a day are we frittering away our vital life force on unnecessary and unpleasant emotion, emotional reactivity? On our expectation of unpleasant things, worrying on the possible and the impossible, on bad moods, on unnecessary haste, busyness, on irritability, nervousness, imagination, daydreaming. Energy is wasted on the wrong work of our centers, the moving center, the emotional center, the intellectual center. One is trying to outdo the other. It's wasted on unnecessary tension of the muscles out of all proportion to the work produced. 
did you ever see some people the way they brush their teeth? It's like it's like they're trying to get cement off. That's me, you know. I'm talking about myself. I watch myself doing the dishes. My dear husband Jerry used to say to me all the time, "You have to crash and bang." And I said, no, I don't. But I, I do it because I'm unconsciously rushing to get through the dishes. It's a task I don't particularly like. So I'm, I'm being completely unconscious. Oh, here's another thing we do on perpetual chatter, which absorbs an enormous amount of energy on the interest continually taken in the things happening around us or to other people and having an opinion about it all. Minding everybody's business on the constant waste of the force of our attention. So it takes struggle, he goes on to say. It takes struggle to play with or to to work with. First, we have to see it. And then we actually have to work at it. It takes a lot to wash dishes without making a crashing, banging experience of your dishwashing. I know I have a dear friend whose husband has hyperacuity where the ears are so sensitive, he can just fall over if the noise is too big. I have watched her doing dishes. It's unbelievable what she has trained herself to do. Just unbelievable. And she doesn't have to do it super, super slow either. She just has trained herself to do that. In my previous life, when I was in the convent, we used to have to do that too. We used to have to walk without making noise and do all sorts of things without disturbing, especially the grand silence that descended at night after prayers. But the point being that this vital life force that we're getting from the food, so we're consuming the food, we're consuming the air, We're consuming sensations and life force impressions, all sorts of impressions, situations, other people, relationships, the weather, the politics, the stuff we're reading, the stuff we watch on TV, the things on our iPad. And you know what they call these things? They call them handheld electronic vampires that suck energy and drain attention. This is not to make an inventory of how bad we all are. This is hopefully to give us a little bit of lightness about the fact that this thing that they call sleep, an unconscious mechanical life, is really big. And if we're going to take the possibility that everything is food and bring everything onto the path, we're talking about major, major stuff. We're talking about transformational, really big transformational work. Let me get up a quote from Arnaud Desjardins from the book, The Jump Into Life. He says, receiving impressions while being self-aware, intensely conscious, means, first of all, that you consume less energy and assimilate more energy. In other words, you waste less and you assimilate more. Compared with the energy wasted by living the ordinary way, you will thus save not twice, but 10 times more energy. When you bring conscious attention to what you're doing in the eating of food, air, and impressions, you not only multiply 
double the amount of energy that you can hold and then store, but you get 10 times. Well, how does he know 10 times? He's saying you just get a lot, a lot more. The proportion seems enormous, but no real inner transformation can take place unless a very great amount of energy is saved. In fact, each time you carry out this work on your emotions, and by being aware, you return to what is. So each time you return to what is, each time you no longer let yourself be carried away either by a negative emotion or by a dependent happy emotion. Well, this is something interesting. We know it would probably waste a lot of energy to be carried away by negative emotions, right? We know we're losing energy if we're focusing on anger and steam is coming out of our ears, right? You get the idea, negative emotions. But can you be wasting energy with happy emotions, certain kind of happy emotions? Yeah, you can. When I went into someone's room one day, they had a sign that said something like, please constrain your perkiness. I thought they had put it up just for me. So anyway, happy emotions, enthusiasm, perkiness. I'm perky. I'm like always happy. Can also be a form of energy depletion. Happy emotion is simple, but it says dependent happy emotion. Could you clarify that? Well, I don't exactly know, but what I'm guessing is that it's a happy emotion It's not a higher emotion. Like there's happy emotions, which are ecstasy and joy and bliss that are beyond my ego holding to them. They are higher states of emotion of joy and bliss. But I think when he's saying dependent happy emotion, I think what he's talking about is that I need to have enthusiasm to make me who I think I am. I'm dependent upon my personality of happy emotion. I need to have this certain level of happiness and I need to prove it and I'm attached to it. It's a a type of ego attachment. That's what I get, like an addiction to something that makes us feel good. What comes to mind is that it might be happiness dependent on circumstance. So when certain things happen and go well, then we're happy, but only then. I would like to add that Any emotion which I'm identified with is a dependent emotion. Yes, thank you. Contingent upon something Mm -hmm. as opposed to whatever isn't contingent upon something. Mm -hmm. Whatever is independent Mm -hmm. as opposed to contingent. Yeah. Okay, questions or other comments at this point? I think it's okay to not eat food. I think it's okay... For example, if somebody is giving you some food, you mentioned the person in your life that was giving you some food you didn't enjoy. It's okay to reject that food. You don't need to accept it. That's all. Even though it's food, and it might be food for thought later on, you don't need to take it on as something you have to consume from them. Thanks. Anybody want to respond? Because she's bringing up another whole field here. I can relate and also speak to my experience in that situation of consuming it as food. 
personality and identification is what creates a resistance. So if I'm identified, I'm having opinion and it's coming into conflict. And when I switch into the place where I am choosing to eat the negative emotions, then that practice for me is I'm dropping the identification and consuming the energy into a place where it's worked upon by something other than myself, something finer. And that's clearing that energy and turning into something can be with. And in my practice of doing that, it's very energizing. It's very relieving and will often shift the situation. Whereas if I practice the rejection, it consumes more energy within me and it doesn't create the same thing. So there's a slight nuance into the way that that energy exchange is happening and it's life-changing. It really is. And I'm just beginning to experience it. It sounds like non-resistance. I mean, something appears and if you resist it, you've eaten it. Something like that. If you resist it, you've eaten it. Yeah. It's actually, it's one step beyond non-resistance where it's an active, almost welcoming. And my physical practice will to be dropping into my, my solar plexus area and just breathing it in and just being like the yes, like, okay. And you're angry and you're just a total a breathe in. And in the Buddhist practice, it's Tonglen, where we breathe in the pain of the world and we breathe out the love. And so it's a, there's, an, there's an active practice to it. One of the ways in which we've worked in the self-observation work is a, a phrase that I've taken and use a lot, which is that whatever food is coming at us from all these different impression forms, we can give it to the breath and give it to the body. In other words, take it in let the breath and the body of sensation transform it. It's an inner alchemy process because I can't consciously make what could seem like poison. I can't turn that into gold. That's why we're talking about it as an alchemy. But I can breathe in the midst of it. I could breathe as my friend was saying things that were hard to hear. (laughs) And I could be with this body of sensation and let the body take this food and do what it does with it. Can you comment on that, Red Hawk? All right. First, I'll start with two different quotes. The first is from Mr. Gold, who taught us that the average human being's life consists almost exclusively of distractions. And then the second quote is a famous story from Madame de Saltzman, who at the age of 92 was conducting a movements class. And one of her students said to her at some point, Madame, you have more energy than any of us. How is that possible? And the quote was, I eat my negativity. So One of the foundational and fundamental practices of the work is to not express negative emotion. A corollary to that would be to not suppress negative emotion. But whatever arises within me or from outside, I keep attention focused in bodily sensation and breath. And I do not interfere with incoming impressions which arise from inside or outside. Non-interference means a relaxed body, 
Non-interference means attention below the neck in sensation and breathing in the world. The result is that if I don't interfere with incoming impressions, which is energy, the body transforms it. If there is no trans conscious transformation of energy, I cannot grow. I must be fed real food. Real food is the transformation of impressions. Does that help? Works for me, Red Hawk. Thank you very much. I just wanted to re-express the point that, yes, life is a feast, but you don't need to choose to eat everything that comes your way the moment it comes your way. It's okay to take a doggy bag home and do your work on it on your own. If you're in the state of being where you can absorb as you go through life and it flows through you and by you and you can absorb it that way that's great but not everyone can do that so in my humble opinion choosing what you want to eat and when is important thank you so much for that perspective because there's so much in what you're saying if in fact it is so that Everything is impression food. Everything around us is impression food. If you're scanning through Amazon Prime and you're looking at all the possible choices, what are you looking for? Are you going to look for something that's going to feed prurient interest? Or are you going to look for something that might inspire you? So there's all different kinds of food you can take from videos, all different types of food you can take from books and reading. And that's one of the reasons why we have such rich opportunities with groups like this. You had many choices of what to do with your time, and you chose a situation that had the possibility of giving you a kind of food that is really going to serve you. I really like that because it's so valuable to recognize that we are confronted with these kinds of choices all the time. It's not like because everything is food, we go into the supermarket and just take anything off the shelves at all. We use discrimination about what we need at any particular point. But there's also many life circumstances that we cannot choose about, like the rain. <laughs> of course, we have choices about how we dress for it, but we're in the midst of some health situations in the, in the world at large, or climate, or the activities of our children. So much of that is taking what life is giving us and being able to discriminate what's the possibilities here. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, for me, it's like saying yes and act. There's some impression food I can't avoid, like the rain. For me, it's a perfect example. I'm not sitting there and saying, okay, I'm transforming the rain and my picnic, what I planned internally in like some happy situation or something. No, I'm I'm calling my friends and say, okay, let's change the picnic or bring your umbrellas. And that's for me the juicy part that I'm forced to be creative and find 
ways to what is already. Yeah, the rain is there, or my dog died, or I lost my job, or whatever circumstances are there. It would be, it's a denial when I say, it's, oh, it's not happening, or so. No, it's already there. I can't change it. And then this active part, mm-hmm. yeah. And I don't have to expose myself when I know, oh, I'm completely overwhelmed by impression food. I can find other ways to feed myself. Yeah. I would like to tell you that if you're interested in going further, that this book, The Jump Into Life by Arnaud Desjardins, it's just so filled with information and inspiration on this subject of Sarban Anam, or everything is food. The other that I mentioned and quoted from is Red Hawk's book, Self-Remembering, The Path to Non-Judgmental Love. Um, this is the second in his series on self-observation, self-remembering. In this one, he really goes in great depth into the types of being food, the types of impressions, and how we make use of that on the path. And then this book by Dilgo Kense Rinpoche, Enlightened Courage, and any of the books in the Tibetan field that speak about this seven-point mind training. Training the Mind and Cultivating Loving Kindness by Chogyam Trungpa. Just another really, really powerful book. So I'd like to leave you with, they're not hors d'oeuvres because it's at the end of the meal. I guess these are the little dessert petty fours. So I'll give you three of them. (laughs) And we've touched upon them all the way. The one is say yes. So maybe the assignment for the rest of your life or (laughs) the next few hours might be to look at the no, to look at whatever complaints arise in your your life. Whether it's a complaint that I feel tired or it's a complaint that there's not enough food or there's not enough of this or that or anything, looking at the ways in which we say no, we approach life as a no. That would be one little petty for, say yes. The other would be to look at, in the course of just the next few hours, any activities, ways your mind is being used, ways your emotions are used, in which you are frittering away some of your vital life energy. The way you brush your teeth tonight, the way you grip something. I have a tea kettle. (laughs) Every morning when I fill that tea kettle, I'm reminded because I As I'm filling the tea kettle early in the morning, I see that the bones on my hand are enunciated. And I realize that I'm gripping that tea kettle in a way that I don't have to. It's such a silly example, but it's a manifestation of the way in which I go through life defending and gripping, grasping. So this is a way in which we can practice, even just for a few hours. Where am I using excessive energy to do anything and where am I frittering my energy away through gossiping through forms that are not serving me and then the third is the thing I spoke to at the very end which is this little mantra type phrase that I've learned through the self-observation work which is give it to the breath give it to the body there's an alchemical knowledge within 
that does know how to make use of everything that's coming at us in the form of food. And we can breathe into it, allow it, feel it in the sensations of the body. But what does that mean? What does it do? We don't have to know. The practice is self-revelatory. And as we use the breath and as we use the body in these ways, these things will be revealed to us slowly over time. 